0: Greetings and welcome to Shnayim Mikra, the podcast series developed and sponsored by the Orthodox Union, hosted here at OU.org. In each one of these podcasts we read, study, analyze, and dissect one of the aliyot of the current week's parashat. My name is Yitzhak Get Shalom and I have been privileged to be studying parashat Bahalotacha with you this week. And we now come to the final podcast. In Bahalotacha, which picks up in the middle of the story of the prophets prophesizing in the middle of the camp, in the middle of the story about the voluptuaries, as Rabbi Salavejah called them, who lusted after meat. This is in Parak Yod Aleph Pasuk Lamed, chapter 11 of the book of Numbers, verse 30. So Moshe was gathered to the Machane, who was in Israel, all the elders together. And that was after the prophecy. Now, What was the substance of the prophecy, we're not told. Which means that either there was no substance to the prophecy, meaning they were just captured by the rapture of prophecy, as we see, for instance, in the first book of Samuel, chapter 10, and many other places, there, uh, chapter 19. Or it could be that they had prophecy, which was just not of a relevant issue at this point. As Chazal say, that the prophecy was... Uh, Moshe met Moshe will die, and Yeshua will be the one to take them into the land. Or that the prophecy was really about the events that we're reading here. In any case, veruach Nasame Eight adonai. Now a spirit came out, a wind. Sorry, came out from God. salvim in it carried up, picked up um, a quail from the sea. al machaneh and they spread them out over the camp. Kederach was like one day's walk in each direction. Svivot It was two amot There was an amazing amount of quail spreading throughout the camp. And one day's walk around the camp, and two amot high. So people got up that day and a whole night. The whole next day. They gathered all of this this quail. Now notice the word hamamit here is taking us back to Parsha Peshalach. And to the description of the collection of the man, which is done so perfectly. The one who took a lot did not take more than his portion. The one who took little did not take less than his portion. Here we're hearing the very opposite. The least of them collected ten piles. Meaning everybody's collecting just tons of meat. And they spread them out outside of the camp. So now you have a camp. And imagine the picture for a moment. You have a camp, which up until we got to this chapter, was a thing of beauty. Was every tribe in its own place, and every camp in its own corner, and in the middle is the Mishkan and surrounding them, are the Levim, and they're all waiting with expectation, and the cloud lifts, and it marches, and the camp marches in order with the Chasotzrot, the trumpets blowing the blast to get them moving. And when the clouds rest, they stop, they set up the Mishkan, it's beautiful. Now what do you see? You see a camp that's got piled high all around it a wall, as it were, of dead quail. And so they're eating. They're picking out. <laughs> the meat was still between their teeth. That, by the way, the Gemara quotes in Masecha Chulin, the 8th Perak, to prove that meat is still called meat when it's inside your stomach that's the, or inside your mouth, which is the beginning of the source of the whole issue of waiting between meat, meat and milk. Teramikaret, <laughs> So before it was cut off, then God got angry. And he smote them with a great uh, hit. And a lot of people died. And that's the the uh, the graves of the voluptuaries, the graves of the people who had great lust. That's where they buried the people who... Now, that seems to minimize... What we saw a little bit earlier, because Koha'am sounds like everybody got up to eat, and now we find out, meaning all of the people who had this loss died, and everybody else buried them. And when we count our numbers afterwards, we don't find a great diminution in the size of B'nai Israel as a result, so it may have seemed like a great plague, but it sounds like it affected a relatively small, um, uh, group. And from then they marched. now we continue with our march. And now they get to this place of Chatzorot, and it sounds like they stay there for a while. We're in Chatzorot, and the next tragic event happens, but what you see now is that after the great, glorious point, the climax of beginning to march, and the exquisite, elegant, generous invitation to Chovav, etc., there is a short piece about the, uh, the, um the Tavera, the place where some people were burned because they spoke out, they complained. And then we hear this long story about the complaints where Moshe Rabbeinu gives up and uh, Hashem gives, sends him 70 helpers and gives the vuah. And even that has a problem with it because there is contention about the fact that there are Nevi'im that are, that are having prophecy outside of the context of Moshe Rabbeinu. And then that's of course followed by the great plague that affects, however many it affects, the entire feeling of the, of the text now has shifted, the momentum has shifted away from Moshe, away from climax, away from glory, away from valor, to complaining, to sin, and there's an impending sense of doom, as if to say, everything we were looking for isn't going to happen the way we hoped it would happen. Of course, we know how the story plays out, so we know that's the case, but you can almost feel it here. And then it hits home. And so the chapter 12, it's a short chapter, but a very key chapter, according to the Rambam, it includes one of the 13 principles of faith. We'll talk about that. So Miriam and Aaron spoke about Moshe, about the dark woman, or the kushit woman that he married. because he married an Now, there's two problems in this verse. First of all, who's the Ishak kushit? And there we have a difference of opinion. Either it's a reference to Tzipora, the wife that we know he took, who's Yitro's daughter, and the idea is that she was very dark. The other possibility is this builds on an entire Midrashic tradition that when Moshe ran away from Egypt, he first ran to Ethiopia, he became a war because there's a missing bunch of years, as many as maybe 60 years, between when Moshe Rabbeinu leaves Egypt and when he gets to the well in Midian, meets Zipporah. And he went to Ethiopia, he became a warlord there, he married a woman, and then he left her. So it could be that they're talking about that. The other problem is a grammatic problem, at the very beginning of the verse, Vatadaber is the singular feminine. Third person, Vatadaber, she spoke. What does it then say? Miriam Ve Aharon. Miriam Veharon. So it should be in the plural and it should be masculine as any plural when there's any males present. Why is it Vatadaber? So the simple read of it is that Miriam was really the one who instigated it. She's the one who talked. And Aharon was present, which is why, as it plays out later we see that Miriam is the one who gets the worst punishment, but Aharon is also castigated for being part of this clique, as it were, against Moshe, and they speak about the woman. Now, Rashi takes one midrashic perspective, we're talking about Sipor, and what is it that they're saying about her? Not that there's something wrong with her, but rather that Moshe has abandoned her, and that's connected to the previous parsha because she is standing there seeing these al-data-midata prophecy, and she's bemoaning the fact that, oh, I feel sorry for their wives, because, of course... They're going to abandon their wives, just like Moshe abandoned me from the minute that God spoke to him. And they, Miriam and I will look at each other and say, What do you mean? We're prophets, and we didn't abandon our family life. And the answer is Moshe is different. And that goes, by Ru, they would go, Harak, ach, Moshe, Did Hashem only speak to Moshe? Hello, Gamban, he spoke to us also. Meaning, we're also prophets. God heard this, and God was angry on behalf of Moshe. So now what happens? By Moshe is very humble, which means Moshe is not going to speak up for his, in his own defense. Moshe is certainly not going to speak up against his older brother and sister in his own defense. And therefore, our Kodesh Baruch Hu is going to step in on behalf of Moshe, and on behalf of the very unique and special relationship he has with Moshe. Now, if on the other hand, we take this Isha Kushit, as some of the Rishonim took it, as being a reference to this other woman that he married, and that he abandoned uh. Um, then you have a very, uh, great difficulty about what's the response, but again, that Moshe is behaving in a way that's different than we, than, than we are behaving, and why should that be? We're also Nevi'im. And that's clear, clearly the problem in what Miriam and Aaron were talking about, was that Moshe was special, and they didn't get that he really is, because Hashem's response is very much to that point. So suddenly Hashem, summons Moshe Aron and Miriam, and that there may be the point, is that every other prophet has a preparation time, which means that as following the Midrash's direction, that it was about Moshe's relationship with Zipporah, that Moshe was always on call. That's why he couldn't be with his wife. Whereas the rest of them always had preparation time, and he points that out to Aron and Miriam by doing something he never does with them, which is to call them suddenly. And they have to be ready. Go out to the Omoid, the three of you, And then God's cloud comes down, and this evidently is some greater manifestation of the cloud, because the cloud is over the Mishkan at all times. It stands in front of the tent where they are. And it summons Aaron and Miriam, the two of them went out, meaning of the area they were towards the cloud. And then he gives prophecy to Aaron and Miriam, oddly enough, to the exclusion of Moshe. Shimun hear my words. Meaning, if you have a Navi. I will make myself known to him in a vision, and I will speak to him in a dream. Meaning, any prophecy that exists comes through a vision or a dream. Lo, chayn, avdi, moshe. My servant moshe is not like that. Bechob, who he's trusted throughout my house, meaning, I speak to him mouth-to-mouth, meaning face-to-face. I look at him, he sees me, there's no riddles. He gazes upon the image of God. Now, there are many problems with this passage, not the least of which that God directly says to Moshe, earlier on in Sefer Shemot, you cannot see me. We could reconcile these statements, possibly saying he sees my vision, meaning the back. You should have been in reverence and afraid to speak about my, my servant Moshe. Moshe is not like you. He's much closer to me than you are. Yes, you're prophets. The prophets are not all the same. The Rambam here builds a principle. And this principle is, principle uh, number uh, seven, which is that the Mosaic prophecy is inherently and qualitatively superior and of a different type than every other prophecy. Every other prophet, by definition, has to be asleep when he gets his prophecy, and see it in some sort of a vision, with a parable, or with a symbol. Hosea sees it straight on. And therefore the Rambam went to great lengths in the uchim to explain that Avraham meeting the three angels never really happened. It was in Nevoah when he was asleep. Yaakov wrestling with the angel, same thing. And that Take a look at the Ramban at the beginning of Vayira, and you'll see the tremendous challenges raised against the Rambam. But the Rama made that a principle. And what happens? Vayichar af adunai bam vayilach. Then God is angry at them, and he leaves them. So he says his word, and he leaves them. And now what happens? V'anan sar oil. The cloud left the oil, because Hashem's presence leaves. V'nei miryam, it's And now, would it behold, Miryam has tzarat. by the way, you have a very similar scene, sort of bookending at the beginning of Moshe's career, when Moshe himself is at the snack, and behold, he's got sarat. He puts his hand inside of his arm, takes it out, and behold, he's got sarat. Here you have it again. The presence of God is there, and the result of that is that there's sarat. The question, of course, back in, say, Parashat is does Moshe get the sarat, the leprosy, whatever you want to call it, the skin disease, as a punishment, as Rashi alludes to, or is it as a sign (coughs) <coughs> to show the Yisrael. Unclear from that context. In any case, Vayifen Aharon el Miriam v'nei Mitzorat. So Aaron looks at Miriam and he sees that she's Mitzorat. She's got this skin disease that we miscall leprosy. Vayir so Aaron el Moshe. So now turns to motions as B'Aduni, which is short for Ani Aduni Heavon, which shows up only in Shmuel Aleph Chafeh in 1st book of Samuel 25. It's the formal version of that uh, that uh abbreviated form, which is really, "Pardon me." Don't hold this sin against us that we have done foolishly, meaning Aaron says we've done a terrible foolish thing, but we have we have violated your honor, so please forgive us. Because she looks like dead. That's what uh, some of this sarat is. She looks dead. Comes out of the, of the womb already looking half dead. Now she looks like a dead person. What happens? El Na Refan Moshe cries out to God and asks God to heal her, which is the surest sign that Moshe has forgiven her. And of course, since it's a violation of Moshe's honor, it's up to him to forgive her. And once he forgives her, then we can move on. Interestingly, the uh, there's a story in Masechet Prachot with a balt filah uh, who stood in front of Rabbah, And he davened very, very, at great length. And one of the students said, oh, this guy is really Arkan. This guy davens for a long time. He was saying it disparagingly. And he said, is he longer than Moshe Rabbeinu? And he quotes the thing that Moshe said 515 tefilot, or the 40 days. And then there was another fellow who got up and davened very quickly, said very few words. And he said, oh, this guy is so short. And Rabbi said, is he shorter than Moshe Rabbeinu? Look at Moshe Rabbeinu. He said, El na refan na la. Five short words. That was his whole tefilot. So now what happens? Now what this means is, let's say that her father had disgraced her, had spit in her face. She should be closed up and really embarrassed for seven days. She should be excluded from the camp for seven days, meaning, and then come back into the camp. And this is one of the examples of a kal Homer, a reasoning from the minor to the major, if her disgracing her father and her father then cursing her would lead to her being shut out for seven days, then certainly if it's God who did that, she should be shut out for 14 days. But here we employ the halachic rule, Masach Bava Perak Bet, and Dayola Bamin Adin When you learn something via Kal you can only take it as far as the Kal, not further. So it can't be more than seven days. So she says seven days. What happens? She stays outside of the camp for seven days as a They didn't leave. They didn't move until she was gathered in. It's so a beautiful mishnah in Sota about this. And then they move from Chatzerot, which is where this whole thing happened, to Midbar Paran, the next stop in the journey. were of course the uh, calamitous events of uh, of the next parsha will take place, but we'll leave that for next week. The beautiful Mishnah, with which I'd like to end in Masachet Sotah, the first parak, talks about midah keneged midah, that God punishes tit for tat. And uh, on the other hand, God rewards in kind, but the in kind there is a greater reward than the act. As an example given is that Miriam waited for one hour to watch what happened to her brother by the river, and here the entire camp waited for her for seven days. So when God rewards you, the reward is not just in kind of what you did, but is exponentially greater than what you did. A great reward was given to Miriam, and even in her moment of of disgrace, uh, her great kindness as a responsible older sister to the greatest Jew that ever lived, is remembered, and the people wait for her for a week. Everyone should have a wonderful day and a wonderful Shabbat. And I really do hope that uh, these seven podcasts on Parashat Balotcha have brought a little new understanding, a new light, perhaps a new perspective into what is one of the most (coughs) storied and significant parashat that we have, certainly in Sefer Bamidbar. Shabbat Shalom.